0: There's this real pressure that we experience that we have to have it all figured out by the time we're 22. You know, a friend of mine, Cal Newport, says, why is it that we think we have to have everything figured out at the point in our life when we have the least information we'll ever have about what we're good at and what we're interested in? You know, for some reason, we think we have to know what we're going to do for the rest of our life at age 22. And I I just want to encourage people, listen, you can navigate to where you want to be. Um, if you're diligent, if you're purposeful, if you, if you strive to know yourself and you pay attention to the patterns, um, where are the places where you seem to add disproportionate value? Where are the places where when you show up, things just seem to be easy for everyone around you?
1: Hi guys, welcome back to Beyond High Street. Today's pod's with Todd Henry. I did not know Todd, but I was connected via Stacy Browning. You guys may remember Stacy was on the pod a few weeks ago. She's the president of PayCorp. And she and Todd know each other really well. Todd and I talk about Herding Tigers, his latest book, his fourth book, Be the Leader That Creative People Need. It's out on Amazon, so definitely go check that out. Todd delivers 40-plus speeches a year around the world, asking people or really to inspire people to take action and unleash their best work. And that's what he does. He has a business that does so, giving workshops to individuals and corporations. He's got his own pod, The Accidental Creative which has millions of downloads, a lot more than Beyond High Street, but we're catching up, maybe. But he's been doing that pod for 12 years. Did you even know what a podcast was 12 years ago? Four different books, like I said, all really interesting, all give great insight to individuals. And on the pod, he he uses some of that insight uh, and and shares it for Miami students and thinking about the long game uh, and not just focused on the job two months ahead. He actually goes back to Oxford a few times a year and and lectures and has conversations. I could have a conversation with Todd all day, really enjoyable. Uh, and and this one, we, we start the pod in his moment of thinking of why have a fourth book, Herding Tigers.
0: Enjoy. So I've spent a number of years working with organizations and helping them be what I call prolific, brilliant, and healthy all at the same time, right? So doing a lot of work, doing good work, but also Doing it in a sustainable way, and you know I love working with individuals and helping them build practices, but the problem was I would go into these organizations and they would say, "Hey, thank you for all of this, but by the way, can you talk to my leader? Can you talk to my manager because i 'm trying everything I can do, but then they just come in and keep layering all of these expectations on me that are simply untenable and so I realized that I can do all the work I want to do with individuals and organizations and helping them do their best work. But if I'm not addressing the leadership issue and helping managers understand what it is that um, the people in their organization need from them, then I'm not going to solve the problem on any macro scales. So that's why I really I wanted to write Herding Tigers just to help people understand or help managers understand what is it that highly creative people really need and how can you build an organization that gives it to them more consistently.
1: And is is highly creative people limited to – is that the creative side of an organization or is that an account manager or somebody that has an entrepreneurial mind or somebody that thinks a little bit differently?
0: It's a great question because I I think we often conflate two things. I think we conflate creativity and art, right? So we think – like a lot of people will say, well, I'm not creative because I'm not writing songs or I'm not making pictures or I'm not designing or I'm not making photos. But the reality is anybody who has to solve problems every day has to be creative. And so an entrepreneur, of course, an entrepreneur is creative because they have to go to work. They have to identify potential opportunities in the marketplace, develop products, figure out how to take them to market. I mean, that's an inherently creative act. And so if you have to solve problems every day, then you are a creative professional. And so what I really try to do is step back and really think about this, not through the lens of what does a designer or a writer or somebody like that need, but what is it that Someone who is doing highly fluid, complex, problem-solving work every day, what is it that they really need from their manager in order to thrive? Mm. And,
1: and from there, and obviously this is 200 pages in a book and we want people to go to Amazon and buy it, but <laughs> what are, give me two or three of those tips or
0: tricks to make people thrive. Well, I think the, the big, sort of the really big core insight in the book that everything else hangs from is that there are two primary things that highly creative people need. The first thing is stability. So we tend to think that um, creative people are free thinkers, they're freewheeling, you know, just don't fence me in, just give me all kinds of freedom, it's all about the idea, Right. And and there is certainly some truth to that, but the reality is that in order to take big creative risks, an organization needs a certain measure of stability, stability of process, clarity of communication, clarity of expectations. There has to be some firm ground from which people can leap. And so, if the rules are constantly changing, if expectations are constantly changing, if the process is always being shifted up, the people on your team aren't going to have what they need, the stability they need to be able to to perform. But They also need challenge. They need to be pushed. They wanna try new things. They wanna take risks. They wanna develop themselves. Um, They wanna feel like they have permission to leap out into the unknown. So you also, as a leader, have to understand what measure of challenge the people on your team need or individuals on your team need in order to feel like they're fully engaged. And the problem with this is that stability and challenge, David, exist in tension with one another. So as you increase the amount of stability, we're going to clarify the process. You know, we're going to, I'm going to be more precise in my expectations. Well, you tend to Decrease the amount of challenge people experience because there's less uncertainty, there's less risk, you know, all of these things. And as you increase the level of challenge, you tend to destabilize the organization. And so a lot of organizations are running after a lot of work, trying to do a lot of work and highly challenging work, but there's little process. And, you know, they might do great work for a while, but they're going to burn out (laughs) over time if there's not, you know, process undergirding that attempt. So really everything in the book kind of hinges on, and then obviously I go into a lot of very specific stuff, but hinges on these two areas, stability and challenge and how you can identify for each individual on your team, which they need, uh, what, what mix of those two things they need in order to thrive. And and the people that you talked about when you, you said the inspiration
1: of it came from talking to individuals and recognizing that the individuals you're speaking to, they can only do so much. You need the leaders to maybe top-down, uh, make sure that there's the stability and challenge. W- where were those conversations taking place? Is that from workshops you do as a business? Is that from the conferences? I feel like you're, every week you're probably on the road speaking to another organization or conferences and people. So is it more of a, a workshop business side or just almost man on the street from your conferences where you found that, I guess, market research?
0: It's both. Uh, I, you know, I've, it's really t- sort of the culmination of 10 years of conversations. Um, you would be probably wouldn't be shocked, but you might be shocked at the kinds of things people are willing to say to you when you pull them aside or when they corner you at a conference or when you're doing a workshop and there's a break and somebody pulls you aside and says, hey, I love that thing you just said. Let me tell you this unbelievable story you would never imagine could happen in an organization that just happened to us a couple weeks ago. So, you know, the great thing is that, you know, I do have years and years of these sort of step-aside conversations that I've had with both people on teams and also with leaders and then through doing, you know, hundreds of interviews on the podcast and talking to people about what really makes them tick and what makes them thrive. So it's been, uh, you know, really enjoyable to have that kind of access over the number over a number of years and, um, and kind of begin to distill some of the patterns. The, the, the bigger... Issue is, and I'm sure that you probably can relate to this too, as well, David. Is that you know, you, you start off doing something and you're so good at doing that thing that at some point, some somebody comes along and taps you on the shoulder and says, You know what, you're really great at doing that thing, you should be leading other people who are doing that thing. You know, it's like, Wait a minute, those are two entirely different skill sets. Just because I can do it doesn't mean I can lead other people who are doing it. And so, many of the problems we have in organizations are simply the result of people being promoted without being given any semblance of a toolkit to be able to do the job that they're being promoted into. Um, and so that was one of the patterns. When You asked about the conversations. One of the patterns that I, I encountered was people coming up to me and saying, hey, um, I just got promoted. What do I do? <laughs> like what, what should be my first you know, two weeks of actions in order to, to, to be able to do this more effectively? So. Anyway, yeah, but that's it's really just a, a lot of conversations over a lot of years with people.
1: That's really interesting. And this is book four. I mean, you've had three
0: others. When you wrote your first one, The Accidental Creative, what year was that? I was writing it in 2009. It released in 2011. Okay. So writing a book is about a, about a two-year process from the time you start to the time it actually hits the streets. And then
1: what was your day-to-day from 95 when you finished Miami to 2009 before the you started putting something on paper?
0: So I had kind of a very bizarre, um, and my, my friend Mitch Joel calls it the squiggly line. Right? <laughs> it's a, it's, I think many many people's careers kind of look like that. But I, so I put myself uh, partially through school at Miami by uh, traveling and singing country music during the summers. So I would travel and play at you know, festivals and fairs and do all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, all over the Midwest. And so when I and I studied marketing at Miami, and when I graduated school, I thought, you know what, I, I think I might try to make a run at this. I might try to make a run at this country music thing. And so I did, for about five years, actually traveled and sang and performed country music. We got to do all kinds of fun stuff and uh, opened for a bunch of big acts, and we opened for like Toby Keith and Kenny Chesney and the Dixie Chicks and all that. It was really fun. We had a, had a, a total blast doing it. Um, but at some point, I uh, I met my my wife, um, who wasn't my wife yet, but when I met her, I sort of had this kind of threefold decision. I was like, I can have, let's see, let's see, music business, gainful employment, or marrying an amazing woman. It's like, you can have two of those three, but you can't have all three at the same time, right? right? So yep. I chose gainful employment and marrying an amazing woman. By the way, my wife also a Miami grad in 93, so we're sort of an inadvertent Miami merger. We Perfect. didn't mean to, but was, yeah. Um, and so uh, we, uh, we we got married, and I actually got a job as creative director uh, at a place called Crossroads Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, which has since, since you know, thoroughly exploded, um, become this sort of massive, sort of behemoth organization. Um, at the time, it was much smaller, but over the number of years there, um, led the creative team and developed the creative team, and uh, was also doing a lot of freelance work and Um, You know, sort of working with creative directors in the Cincinnati area, kind of doing some mentoring and things like that. And it was right around 2005 that I realized, you know, there's not a really good conversation out there about the nature of creating on demand. Um, You know, about going to work every day, having to solve problems, and some of the not just the 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 work based um, problems that come with that, but some of the you know psychological issues that arise and just some of the personal, uh, you know, sort of the the, how we we manage our personal ambitions in the midst of trying to go to work and and deliver great results every day. And so I started a podcast in 2005, which it's funny because at the time I thought, man, I'm so behind the curve on this (laughs) podcast thing. Like I'm so late to the game, right? But I started this podcast in 2005 called The Accidental Creative. And I kind of forgot about it. Frankly, I put like four or five episodes out and I went, you know, obviously I was very busy, had a very busy job, and my wife and I had a couple kids at the time, and so I, you know, it was just kind of a little side project, and I went back to iTunes to look for podcasts to listen to about a month later, and I saw one called The Accidental Creative that was one of the top, Podcasts on iTunes, and my first thought, David, was, "Oh no, I stole someone else's name! I can't <laughs> believe why didn't I check first? But it was my podcast huh. that was one of the, you know, and so there were thousands of people listening right out of the gate, and I realized I'd struck a nerve. Um, you know, I was talking about things that maybe people had never considered, or they at least they were thinking, but nobody else was talking about. And so the podcast quickly grew and continued growing, and I started getting. These little invitations from, you know, companies like Mattel and Intuit and Intel and other companies just saying, hey, um, that thing that you you shared on that podcast episode, will you come and talk about that with our team? Uh, sure. Yeah. You know, why not? Um, which is great. And that opened a lot of doors to begin having more formal conversations about some of these dynamics with. Um, teams all over, all over the world, all over the globe. And then obviously through the podcast, we were able to have conversations with experts in uh, various industries and various fields. And that again, continued to grow. And at some point I realized, Oh, I think that there's an opportunity here to to sort of take a leap and to do this full time. And so I was offered a book deal with this is sort of the part of the story where it's like, and then Penguin called me and offered me a book deal. Right. But that's (laughs) that's kind of the way it happened. And, um, you know, so that happened. And that's when I officially sort of leaped out and and launched my business. So now I've been doing this full time for almost a decade or a little over a decade or about a decade. And now I travel and I consult and I write books and I speak and I get to meet all kinds of amazing people.
1: I'm amazed. This story is great. And it's amazing that you were doing podcasts a dozen years ago when the world didn't know what the medium of audio meant. And there's still many that do not. But I am constantly amazed in the era we live in now that people do not use social platforms or an audio platform to build Uh, to to share their story, to build credibility. It's an unbelievable, not only networking, but call it indirect business development tool that you can do from your home with really just a microphone. And sometimes you can spend a little bit more money, but certainly on the social platforms on Twitter, you're sitting there with a phone. And that's it. That's right. And it's incredibly...
0: Absolutely. And it's an incredibly intimate medium too. I mean, you really feel like you know someone. I mean, I've listened to your to your episodes of of your show. And I mean I felt like I knew you before we ever spoke because it's such an intimate medium and you, you really feel like you get to know someone personally. And if you're building a brand, what better first of all, what sort of easier medium is there to leap into than just i'm going to record myself talking and release it to people right? it's so much easier than than writing and blogging and or video i mean everybody's talking about video now but with video you have to have a lighting setup it has to look good right you have to really think about what you're going to say you have to with audio you just jump on a microphone and you talk about what's on your mind and it's such a great such a great medium and it's been obviously, obviously been such a huge gift me. it's funny, I'll be in an event speaking somewhere, and I'll just be in the lobby talking to someone, and somebody will kind of be standing behind me, and they'll come over and say, excuse me, are are you Todd? Because I recognize your voice from your podcast, right? Yeah. It's just funny how people, you know, it, it just, people feel like they know you, they feel like you're in their ear. Yeah, it's an amazing medium.
1: And, and I feel with audio, you are allowed to, how do I say it, not have a perfect sentence. If, if you're writing, I, I feel like when I write for Forbes, I, I write a... A piece, and then I go back and I edit it six times because I'm fearful that the commas (laughs) are in the wrong place or it's a run on sentence. But when you talk to people, people expect you to say, um, or they expect there to be a pause, which also makes the delivery of it a lot easier than any of the other mediums out there.
0: Absolutely, so true.
1: So go back to, um, now I'm stuck on country music, and we're going to stay there for a minute. <laughs> because w- when I was at Miami, and we were, again, just I think a year off, the, the musician in town who was both of our ages was a guy named Jackson Rome, who was, uh-huh. who was making some money on campus at Top Deck and Aussies and other bars. Were you performing at school too, making money, or just in the summer outside of school time?
0: I wasn't. I wasn't. No, not not around Oxford. I mean, I really had to travel quite a ways. Typically, I mean, I would get in the car and drive like four or five hours on the weekend, um, sometimes to go to a gig in Maryland or whatever, like eight hours to Maryland or whatever. Um, so that I was I was mostly playing, you know, county fairs and festivals and like sort of larger country music, you know, clubs that kind of that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, there wasn't, it was, it was funny because my, my friends had absolutely no grid for what I was doing. You know, the people I live with and hung around with, they're like, you, you do what? Like, what are you doing? Um, but it was, I mean, it was a total blast. My senior year, I actually arranged my classes. So they were all on Tuesday and Thursday. So I would go to class on Tuesday. I would study on Wednesday. I would go to class on Thursday. Then I would hop in the car and take off and I'd have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, to to like gig and I would come back on Monday I'd be ready for class on Tuesday so like my entire semester was arranged around you know going off and playing gigs which was kind of fun it was kind of nice I was able to do that
1: what and what what was the skill the personality trait the resume or the interview like after doing five years of festivals and county fairs and then going in for a creative director job
0: well, fortunately I, I had a lot of connections um that, that sort of helped me get that initial gig, which was which was great, but it was actually my my kind of my musical background that opened the door for me because I'd sort of been volunteering as a musician for a couple of years and so kind of was able to work my way in. Uh, from that standpoint, before sort of getting getting kind of a more permanent tenure as creative director, I had to prove my skills right in order to do that, but was able to was able to kind of work my way in that way so music was kind of a back door into what eventually became my now my my career
1: and when you look at your books and you talk about creativity or getting stuck and and, and then breaking through or resonating with your audience there 's got to be some tips in there for the 15,000 kids that are sitting in Oxford right now that are having fun but studying hard and trying to figure out what they're going to do for the next 30 or 40 years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think um so one one of the things it's been I mean it's great. I get to go back and lecture at Miami a handful of times a year, which is fantastic. I get to meet students and um lecture in the business school and talk about you know career and how you think about your career and that kind of thing i think there's this real pressure that we experience that we have to have it all figured out by the time we're 22 you know a friend of mine cal newport says why is it that we think we have to have everything figured out at the point in our life when we have the least information we'll ever have about what we're good at and what we're interested in you know for some reason we think we have to know what we're going to do for the rest of our life at age 22 And I just want to encourage people. Listen, you can navigate to where you want to be. Um, If you're diligent, if you're purposeful, if you if you strive to know yourself and you pay attention to the patterns, um, where are the places where you seem to add disproportionate value? Where are the places where when you show up, things just seem to be easy for everyone around you? Um, If you start paying attention to those things and you work your tail off and you and you really position yourself to be able to bring value to people around you and make their lives easier, then you're eventually going to navigate your way to the career path that you're wired for. It's only when you don't understand what matters to you. And when you're not paying attention to patterns, you're only following money. You're only following prestige, right? I think that we we tend to be motivated by a combination of pay prestige and process, right? We're either, either, motivated by it, like the money itself, by the the prestige that comes with a title or some career path or whatever it is, or the process. Like I love the work and I love the value I get to create. So you have to understand what is it that you really love and what is it that motivates you and, and make sure that you're being true to the things that you're wired for and that you're not allowing some of these other things to distract you. But eventually if you are and you focus on creating value, you'll—I mean—you'll navigate your way to way to where you where you need to be, and it doesn't have to happen by age twenty-three. It won't happen by age twenty-three. The the number of startups and successful startups in Silicon Valley that are started by forty-somethings is off the charts compared to twenty-somethings. We only hear about the twenty-somethings, right? But it's mm-hmm. the forty—it's typically the forty-somethings who build businesses that last and actually return a lot of shareholder value. It's because they have three or sometimes four or five failures behind them, or at least moderate successes, before they finally have the, the big success under their belt. And so, you know, just know that it's a long game and just, you know, pay attention to the patterns and keep navigating according to what you're learning. Mm. That, that's my advice. It's, it's, it's great advice and hard to do,
1: right? Hard to do when, oh, yeah. when, you, when, you, see, when you see the rent a bill come in and what mom and dad ask for, but yeah, we're, we're all doing this for a very long time. So trying to see, that's right. trying to get to an end game by or, or navigating your squiggly line that you talk about. Cause everyone's got one of those.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, and, and you have to work. I mean, this is the thing too, like you have to work for a long time before you really discover who you are and what you're capable of. You know, it's not the kind of thing that you're going to figure out. Like you get your first job and six months later, you're like, Oh, I got this figured out. I know what I'm doing. I know, you don't know, no, I mean, you know, it takes, you know, sometimes takes a decade of just hard work putting your nose to the grindstone, figuring out how do I deal with a difficult manager? How do I deal with a great manager? How do I, uh, you know, once I'm leading, like, what does it mean to lead a handful of people? Okay, now what does it mean to have more responsibility? What does it mean when I'm given a, a task that I don't understand? How do I figure that out? I mean, you have to spend a lot of time figuring those things out before you know, before you finally start to connect some dots. And not to get a sneak
1: peek at book number five, and I don't even know (laughs) when there will be, but certainly you're noodling it as all all authors and thinkers and entrepreneurs do, which you are one. But what's another problem or area that you think, geez, we need to discuss or talk about more out there?
0: Yeah, so what, the, the area I'm really focused on right now is engagement and motivation, um, but not, not from the standpoint of, you know, hey, what makes me happier, what fires me up, but what is it that really fuels people um, at, from a very specific standpoint? And so I'm working with a researcher and uh, a guy who has uh, an extensive background in business development at a really large research organization. And we're actually uh, using 50 years of research um, uh, in, in a specific area uh, to, to try to distill some patterns and figure out what is it that really motivates people. So I think that's probably going to be the next thing that I'm exploring. Uh, but I, I don't know exactly yet. Um, I don't know exactly yet what the next book's going to be, but I'm, I'm pretty certain that's probably the area that we're going to be exploring. Do you still sing? Uh, I do at home. <laughs> I don't. I don't publicly anymore. Although I, I've been threatening, uh, I, I've been threatening my wife for a while that I'm going to put a band together. But it's it's sort of like a it's uh, you know sort of an empty thread at this point. But yeah, I've been, I've been talking about it for a while. I, every once in a while, I reach out to my old some of my old band members and say, "Hey, you know, it's time to get the band back together," kind of thing. But um, yeah, it's I mean, it's hard, right? I mean, it, like You know, you have to make choices and have to set boundaries. And I mean, we have three kids now. And they're fifteen, thirteen, and eleven. And so we're very busy. You know, we have a lot going on. I'm on the road a lot, you know, working with companies and and traveling all over. And so you you have to make choices. But I think that's maybe that maybe that's uh, maybe it's maybe maybe my career path. The squiggly line will end up right back where it started. Who knows? Maybe I'll be singing country music for a living in my 50s. We'll see.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Todd, for those words. I hope everyone listening learned something from it. I definitely did. Every organization could use Todd to come in, Each, every HR department could use Todd to come in and talk to business leaders and individuals that work on teams. The information that he shares, really, really important. And, and it, I really like the, the thought about what creative people need in terms of stability, but also a challenge and how sometimes those conflict. Book five sounds like on the horizon, talking about engagement and motivation, we'll all be looking forward to seeing that. So remember again, check all those books out on Amazon. Check Todd out at ToddHenry.com. Hope everyone has a good day. See you at Skippers.